prior to that, those of you that have uh, really good memories can go back two weeks. We'll remember. I, I started a, a little series called Religion and Relationship, You Decide. And uh, I'm going to continue that today and probably next week, maybe a, a couple more weeks. Um, for the purpose of this series, I'm using the word religion in a pejorative way. Now, I realize that there are positive uses of that word, that it could be used in a, in a very affirming and encouraging way. But very often today, and for the, for the purpose of this series, I'm using it in a, in a negative way, meaning this, uh, a system of rules, regulations, rituals, or routines that we use to get to God. Sometimes we all begin, I think, our, our journey with the Lord, our walk with, with Christ in a relationship, but sometimes along the way, we can sort of build up these systems and these things that, that become the most important thing. And we put those ahead of the relationship itself. And we begin to think, well, I have to do this or that or this or that to get to God, to stay good with God. So that's sort of the essence of what we're talking about. Uh, in the last message, which again, I'll just review a little bit. It was a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the origin of religion and really going all the way back to the beginning. We're in the book of Genesis and in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve were there. Eve is in conversation with the serpent, who is, is the devil, is Satan. And uh, Eve and, and the serpent are having this conversation about God, as though God's not there. And that was the point of it, is that God's right there. He's there, but they're talking about him as though he's not there. Uh, and in that conversation, Eve does what I think is the beginning of religion, where it comes from, she changes the story a little bit. You remember God said one thing, and then Eve reports that, oh, well, God said something different than that. She sort of adds to it and puts her own spin on it and kind of tightens it up a little bit. And, and what happened then, of course, is there was this, this breach of relationship. There was this gap that occurred between God and man. And really from that day to this day, Man has done that same thing again, trying to bridge that gap, trying to do these things and build these things up to get back to God. Well, where we are today, here, here's the deal. That bridge, uh, that gap has been bridged in Jesus. He filled the gap. He closed, he closed that, that breach. We live on the other side of that, that break in relationship. We no longer have to strive and work for anything to, to get salvation. Here, the beauty of, of where we are as Christians today is that we can just live in a place of celebration of who God is and who we are in Him. That God is with us here now, today, all the time, everywhere we go. He's for us. He loves us. Uh, and, and He really wants, he, he doesn't want us to feel as though we have to do anything to get to Him there's no, he, he's not looking for religion per se. He's looking for relationship. He just wants to be with us, just wants to spend time, hang out, be friends. That's what God wants. God took a huge risk. I, I want you to just think about this for a minute. took a huge risk by creating man in his own image, okay? He did that. Why did God do that? I mean, he already had pets, right? Um, but he created man in his image, uh, just because he wanted somebody to hang out with. He wanted someone like him that he could hang out with. He wanted image bearers, people that would 
look like him, walk like him, talk like him, really live in him and carry out his purpose and his will uh, in the world. He took a risk in creating beings like that. He gave us uh, creativity. He gave us power. He gave us authority. That's a risk. Imagine, just think about it, God makes beings in his image that look like him. That's a risk because what if that goes bad? What if they abuse that power? Imagine what the world would be like. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine that at all, do you? Because we see it. We live in it. It's all around us. It went sideways. And, and we see the results of that. We feel that we are the recipients oftentimes. The brokenness in our lives comes from the risk that God took in making beings in his image and those beings then distorting that image. Think for a minute. I want you to think about this. Think about how amazing it is that God made beings in his image. What's the most amazing thing you can think of? Just, you know, we go, that's amazing. Technology today is so crazy. The cloud. I don't know what the cloud is, but it's the cloud. Think about that. Airplanes. I mean, airplanes still amaze me. These guys jump out of an airplane. I don't know why they did that. I like to ride in them. Um, you know, that's just the fact that I can leave here and I can be in another country in a few hours traveling 500 miles an hour in the air. That's just an amazing thing to me. You know, if you just, nature, creation, uh, whatever, seven wonders of the world, what's the most amazing thing you can think of, whatever that is, there's nothing more amazing than the presence of another human being. There's nothing more amazing than a person bearing the image of God. And each and every one of us is, is that. We are, we are all image bearers of God. We look like God. Our kids, you know, look like us, right? When a baby's born, you go, oh, he looks like, you know, the mom, or he, she looks like the dad, or whatever. We look like God. That, and, the, and not only do we look like God, that's our job. That's our purpose. Our whole purpose in life is to be image bearers of God, just to look like Him. That's, we are, right now, you are in the presence, I want you to know this, you are in the presence of the very good. God said it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. You're in the presence of the very good. This is the pinnacle of creation. Look around, just look around. Go ahead, do it, it won't hurt. Look around you. You're surrounded by Him. Little image bearers of God. Each and every one of these people that's around you is infinitely beautiful in the image of God and has inestimable value in the presence of God. Each and every one of them. It's an amazing thing. That's, okay, that, that right there, that's the tragedy of sin. The tragedy of sin is that it stains, it distorts, it, 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 it discolors, it breaks down, it scars that image. God made us to look like him, and what sin does is it distorts that image. We, we, that gets broken, it, it gets messed up, and, and we, we don't have that image in its fullness and its completeness because of sin in our lives. Think what would happen for a minute if every time you saw another person you thought about that. We, we see the whole thing of the fruit in the garden, the apple, it, it, we, it, it caused us to enter into this place of judgment. So when we see other people so often, we go, oh, well, that guy could stand to lose a few pounds. Oh, well, that's bad hair day there. Uh, 
we immediately, immediately we make judgments about these people instead of what if, what if, when we saw another person, the thought that came to our mind was, oh my gosh, an image bearer of God. What do you think the world would be like? Do you know that, first of all, let me just say this, we would treat people differently if that's what we thought, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you treat people differently if, 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 if every time I saw somebody, I thought, this guy is an image bearer of God. I would treat them differently. Well, you know that to treat people that way was the motivation for everything Jesus did. Do you know that? That was the motivation for everything Jesus did. J- J- Jesus came just to think about the interactions. It doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus in the tree, blind Bartimaeus, the guy at the pool that Rob talked about, the lepers, the, all of those people, Jesus' approach was to come to them and treat them as precious, beautiful image bearers of God. That's what he did. So when I, last time I talked about the, the origin of religion and how that that process of distorting that got started. Today I want to continue that. We were in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I want to talk about a little bit today the evolution of religion and really what happened next. What happened next in man's attempt to bridge that gap. Uh, so we're going to look at Genesis 4, but I'm going to give you the punchline first. This is, I'll tell you where we're going. This is where we're going today. This is the end of the message. Gratitude is the only appropriate response to grace. That's what we're going to talk about. So, uh, can I pray? Okay. Lord, just uh, bless this today. Help us to receive your word in our hearts. Amen. All right. Genesis 4. Now, uh, right, we know Adam and Eve, uh, they're in the garden, they're in the cool of the day, they're walking with God, it's all good. Uh, Image of God, they ate from the wrong tree, right? Uh, you know, and so then God removes them from the garden. That's what happened so far. That's the synopsis of 1, 2, and 3. Uh, what happens next? Genesis 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So Adam and Eve get exiled from the garden, and the next thing that happens is these these fallen or broken or distorted image bearers of God now make another little image bearer. That's what they do. Um, from Adam and Eve comes Cain. Uh, I just, it's just think about it for a minute. That, probably, that had to freak them out, don't you think? Uh, the whole process. Uh, we won't talk about that. But just the whole idea today, women get pregnant and then you go to a class, right? You take a class. Somebody tells you, teach you how to breathe, how to have this baby, what happens next. Even, and, and so, I don't know when the classes became popular, but before the classes started, you had mom, right? Mom could tell you how to do this. Well, she had no one. Oh, you know, how does this happen? What, how does this work? I just think it had to be bizarre. Uh, but that's a different story. Part of the whole... You know, idea of image bearers is God gave us the potential to create other image bearers. That 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 in and of itself is 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 an amazing amazing thing. Think about that for a minute. Within the context of a loving committed relationship, 
God has given us the potential to, to, from nothing, right? That's creation. God made something from nothing. We, from nothing, create a living being, a soul, an image bearer of God. We're able to reach into nothingness and pull this new life, this new soul out. It's amazing. That is a, that's a huge, creative, miraculous thing. Think about God could have done anything he wanted, right? Everybody agree with that? So he could have made millions and billions of people by the original method, right? With a little dirt, breath, dirt, breath, dirt, breath. He could have just kept going, making lots and lots of them. They're all over. That would have been a good plan. I think that would have been, you know, perfectly acceptable. Mitosis, you could just, when you get to a certain age, you split and you become two. You know, God could have done that. That happens with plants and things. I don't know. He could have done this any way he wanted, but what God did was he went with this system. He created two people and then gave those two people the opportunity, the privilege, the ability to be creative and reproduce. Out of the greatest, God says, out of the the deepest level of physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy that I can imagine, that kind of relationship will come new life. That is an amazing thing. Now, the, the NIV is getting a little risque, and they say here that Adam made love to his wife Eve. Other translations are a little different. They say he lay with her or had relations with her. Okay, King James uh, is the most uh, discreet. King James says Adam knew his wife. He knew her. Uh, <laughs> I am so sorry. Uh, I will say this, though. Technically, that is the most accurate. The word in Hebrew, yada, there means to know. So technically, King James gets it the closest as far as accuracy. I don't know if, you know, you can chirp. Uh, so let's move on. Um, but I want to say this, and, and here, all the, 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 all the debate, there's a lot of things. A lot of, this is a huge, massive theological issue, which we can't even get, come close to touching today. It's got so many implications. But I want to say this, that, that birth, the creation, if I'm going to use that term, the creation of, of a new person is a spiritual thing. It's not a, just, it's a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing. Look what Eve says here. With the help of the Lord, I have brought... I, it's not, I didn't do this on my own. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. I just Sometime when you've got n- nothing to do, just ponder that for a while. With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. I didn't do this on my own. God was involved in the process. Now, now let me say this. I, I, I made a... It was a little joke, and I, it was kind of only a partial joke, but that had to freak her out a little bit, uh, the whole process, what went on. Eve had warning. She had a clue. There was a hint that this was going to happen. Uh, she, she had a, a little bit of, a, of, a, of a, uh, a prophetic word, if you will, that came forward that indicated to her that something along these lines would happen. And this, to me, is very, very, very important. This is very, very important. I want to look at this today, and I want you guys to, to hang with me here. Backing up. 
previous chapter, Genesis 3.15, says God is speaking. There's a conversation going on. God is here actually speaking to the serpent. Eve is, is there listening in. So there's this conversation. The serpent and Eve are talking, and God is speaking into that conversation. And God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is what uh, theologians call uh, proto-evangelion. It's the forerunner, it's the seed, if you will, the beginning, the embryonic form of the gospel. It's the beginning of the gospel. There will be hatred, there will be enmity between, between Satan and the seed, the offspring of Eve, and Satan will strike a serpent, it's, a, it's an image, it's a metaphor, strike his heel, but then he will deliver the final blow, he will crush Satan's head. So when did that happen? It happened on the cross, Jesus is on the cross, he dies, Satan is laughing, ha ha, I got you. Jesus raises from the dead, says, no, ha ha, I got you. I win, you're dead. That's when this happened. But immediately after the fall of man, Adam and Eve get ushered out of the garden, and then God gives them hope. God gives them hope. You have had a break in relationship. Satan has entered into the the beauty of the relationship that we had and distorted it, but... I am going to allow you to have an offspring. You're going to have a child that is going to do battle with this serpent and settle the score. Your offspring is going to set what is wrong right. He's going to to fix the problem. He he is going to make this right again. And now, now she has a child. She has the offspring. That's what's taking place. There is nothing that I can see in that exchange that would cause me to think that this is going to happen with my offsprings, 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 offspring, sometime generations to come. Uh, There's nothing there that says that. I think Eve would have had every reason to believe that this man... This, this man that she has brought forth with the help of the Lord was the answer to that prophetic promise that God was going to use him to rectify that relationship and to crush the head of Satan and to put everything back to the way that it was supposed to be. Even Adam and Eve had to be, I believe, overjoyed on every level at the birth of this child. First of all, as parents, we're just overjoyed when a baby's born, right? That's fun. That's a great day. Woohoo, baby. But this is more than that. This is a promised child. This is the child. This is the offspring that God said would, would rectify that enmity, the one that would make that all right, the birth of Cain. Um, and then there's uh, Abel comes after that. I, you know, it's interesting, I think, just... Cain gets, we sort of get a little bit of insight into how it all happened, and then it just says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. That's all he gets. Uh, Second child. Middle child. He's already got issues. Um, uh, The emphasis, I believe, in the text is on Cain. Something special. Uh, I I, I believe that... uh, 
the, the emphasis is put on Cain's life. I, I want, think about this again. Now, this is, I, I just, I think, that I, I, I really think this is an important message today. I'm not saying that because I'm giving it, although I am. Uh, I'm saying that because I really believe there's a lot of uh, distortion in relationship with God today. A, a lot of people, including us, all of us at some level or another, allow religion to enter into our relationship because of a misunderstanding, uh, really, of the nature of God and of Scripture. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping and praying, I've been praying this week, that I can shed some light on that for some of us. Um, think about these boys growing up. And you know how it goes. Kids ask you about your life when you were a kid and all that, right? You tell them what happened. So now the Garden of Eden is right over there, and they can see that. They're out toiling, 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 toiling. And they go, hey, why don't we live over there? I think that looks like more fun. Well... You see, we used to live there. But, you know, well, we stole some of God's fruit. We ate the fruit off a tree that he told us not to eat off that tree, but we did it anyway. So that's why we had to move out of the garden. And now we live over here and we work. That's, that's what happened. But Cain, you know what? God, God told me, God told me that I would have a child. I would have offspring. And, that, and I believe you're the offspring. You're, I, I think that you're going to make it right. I think you're going to make it right. God's going to use you. And someday we may be able to go back there again because uh, you're the one that, that's going to fix it. So I, I imagine, I really believe, Cain grew up with a sense of calling, sense of destiny. God has purpose for my life. And, and I think, I think that really helps us understand what happened next. Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. This is uh, one of the most um, challenging and difficult passages in all of the Bible to understand. Uh, it's debated. What does it mean? What does this mean? There's a billion theories. Hello, my baby boy. Uh, I'm going to give you the, the, the three of the top theories. There are many. Why, why did God look with favor upon Abel's offering, not on Cain's. Uh, the most common is that, and again, I think people read into the text here, um, and I'm going to tell you in a few minutes why I believe this is not the right answer, but this most common answer is that God needed a sacrifice. There needed to be blood. That's why he accepted Abel's offering, not Cain's, because it was sacrificial. It was a blood offering. That's what we see all through the Old Testament. Uh, that's, that's one opinion Second opinion is it was just a matter of attitude. That, and again, we're reading into the text here. There's nothing that says that Cain had a bad attitude, Abel had a good attitude, but a lot of people say that was the reason. And again, they're saying that because they don't know. There, we have, there has to be a reason, right? God wouldn't just do this randomly. So uh, clearly it must be that 
that Cain had a bad attitude and Abel had a good attitude. Or um, the third reason that's given is, and sometimes it's a combination of any of the above, uh, A, B, C, D, or A and E, whatever, uh, that uh, the third, uh, let's see, third reason, oh, quality of the offering, that Abel's offering was, was first fruits, it was, it was choice, and Cain must have brought some day-old vegetables. Uh, you know, they were already past ripe or whatever. So that's, that's the thing. Um, so I want to propose something different. Cain, what, what if Cain lived all of his life, basically, with the belief that he was somehow going to uh, rectify the breach between man and God and close that gap and crush the serpent's head? He believed that was his calling, his destiny. The word offering here in this text is the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament for a spiritual offering. Um, the word fruit here, interestingly enough, um, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil. Uh, the fruit is the same word used in Genesis 2 and 3 of the fruit that Adam and Eve ate. Um, so I think Cain had a plan. I think he figured it out. I, I am going to give God his fruit back. Mom and dad stole the fruit. I'm going to stick it to the serpent by giving God his fruit back. I, I really think that's what's going on here. That Cain believes that by bringing this fruit to God, he is going to fix that gap. Um, Abel also brought an offering, right? So why, what what happened? Here's what I think happened. I I really think um, Cain brought that offering with the sense that I'm going to rectify this relationship with God. I need to do this to make it right. I think Abel, on the other hand, brought his offering basically just because, well, I love God. I want to give him something. So here's a present. I love, I love you. Here, I brought you something. I, and I, So in that regard, I think the folks that say attitude is the reason, I think that's the closest. But the, but the purpose, the, the, you know, behind the attitude, I think, is the, is the, really, the really important part. It, it, it's that Cain was trying to bridge the gap. He was trying to fix the broken problem. Abel was just coming with love in his heart. To me, this is a classic example. This is really religion versus relationship. Do I have to do something to make this right with God? Or do I just come and give God something because I love Him? I think that's what's going on here. Um, God, and this is another important thing, I think. God never asked for a sacrifice. God never said, you've got to bring me anything. Look what He says to Cain. He doesn't rebuke Cain and say, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't need your sacrifice. Instead, he does what God does. He's, he's, very, he's very gentle with him. Really, why are you angry, Cain? Why are you downcast? I, I, I know people read this text in different ways. I read this with a compassion. I, I see God having a very compassionate heart towards Cain here. He says, why, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Think about that. If you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at the door. 
It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Why are you angry, Cain? Look, you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is do what's right. Just live, live well. Live a good life. Live a life of love. That's, that's all you have to do. You don't have to bring me anything. You don't have to do anything. Just live a life of love. That's all I want from you. All I want from you. I don't need your sacrifice. I just I want you to do what's right and live this life of love. That's all I want from you. And I think Cain doesn't see that. He sees this destiny, this purpose that he's lived for crying around him. And he becomes angry and lashes out and goes crazy and kills his brother. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. I think so often we, we read and we believe that God is the origin of sacrifice um, in the Bible, but that's not what the text says. God is not the origin of sacrifice. God never asked for sacrifice. God never wanted sacrifice. God never said, oh, you know what? I, I would I, Just think about it. I would love to forgive you. I would love to forgive you, but first, something has to die. We are image bearers of God, right? We're, we're like him. What can image bearers of God do? If someone does something wrong and hurts you and wrongs you, what can happen? Does something have to die? Well, maybe something inside. Uh, but you can go to that person. You can say, hey, you really hurt my feelings when you said that. And they can say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And then you say, I forgive you. We can do that. We're image bearers of God. Guess what? God can do that too. All God wants, hey God, I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that. Oh, I forgive you. He doesn't necessarily need our sacrifices. If we come in in the middle of the story, and here, this is, this is how it gets distorted. This is what happens in life. We read the Bible in chunks. We come in in the middle of the story. If you come in, just, if, look, what if, what, if you were, what if you were somewhere, you know, uh, and you found a copy of Leviticus, and you just read that? Holy crap. I, I mean, God is brutal. There's blood everywhere. I mean, this is just, just blood, 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 blood. If that's all you had. If you come in the middle of the story, you think God is all about sacrifices. God never wanted the sacrifices. Those are a concession. This is, theologians call this the, the principle of accommodation. God will oftentimes accommodate us. We, we, we stub, we're stubborn, and we, we take a direction. We go in a direction, and God says, okay, you can go in that direction. We'll, we'll work with the direction for a little while. Eventually, we're going to have to come back. But for now, we'll go with that. And, and he will allow us to continue in that direction, even though that's not his heart or his original plan. I'm going to give you a couple examples. I'm going to try to go quick and finish this up. But kings, think about kings for a minute. There's a huge section of the Old Testament is about kings, right? And, and if you jump in the middle of the story, you just read that section, you would think God really wanted his people to have a king. But we know that that's not the case. God didn't want his people to have a king at all. He didn't want, the, 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 the giving them a king was a concession, but it was based in a rejection of who he really was. Look at what happened. Samuel is a prophetic person. 
he and other prophetic people are speaking into the heart of God's people and leading them that way. And, and God said, I need people to help me to speak. That's what's happening. Samuel, I believe, thought he was doing a good job and probably was. Um, but this is what happens. They said to him, Sam, to Samuel, the people, you're old, your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king lead us to lead us. Why? All the other nations have a king. We want a king. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Ah, oh, I thought I was doing a good job. So he prayed, he goes to the Lord, Lord, I, I'm trying my best. I'm doing what I can here. They don't want me anymore. They want a king. What does God say? It's not you they've rejected. It's me. They rejected me. What does God do after that? He gives him a king. You want a king? You can have a king. Gives him Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then a whole herd of kings. And it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't his purpose at all. God uses it. How does he use that? He, to illustrate, what, what is the illustration there? Jesus is the king of kings. So God will take that concession and use it to teach truth to us. The same thing is true of the temple. God never wanted a temple. God told the Israelites, what, do you remember, anybody know what, what he told them to build? Tabernacles. What's a tabernacle? Fancy word for a tent. It's a tent. God wanted them to build tents. He didn't want a fancy house. David, the king, which is already a compromise, says, oh, you know what? I live in a fancy house. Kings live in fancy houses. God lives in a tent. That's not right. I'm going to build him a fancy house. He needs a palace. So David begins, Solomon finishes, they build God a temple. God didn't want the temple. He said, I like my tent. I really do. I like my tent. It's portable. You know what the whole idea of the tabernacle was? It's beautiful. What is the idea of it? It goes where you go. The presence, you don't have to go to the temple. You just take it with you. What's the image? The Holy Spirit is the temp- tabernacle, the temple of God in our heart. goes with us everywhere we go. So again, a concession. God takes this concession, this accommodation. He allows us to live in that. He teaches us truth. But then there comes a point when he says, no, it's over. I don't need the temple anymore. No kings, no temples, no sacrifices. It's all done. We'll work with it for a while, but then it comes to an end. I think when you understand this, when you begin to see this, I think the Bible makes so much more sense. So many people ask me, why is there so much blood? Why is there so much war and killing and death? God never wanted that stuff. (laughs) He allowed it to happen. Sacrifice. I'm going to talk about sacrifice for just a minute to to make this point clear, and then we'll wrap up. Um, God never wanted sacrifice. All he wanted was relationship. I believe that was the dividing line between Cain and Abel. I really believe that that was the dividing line between Cain and Abel. That Cain came thinking God wanted and needed that sacrifice. Abel came just because he loved God. Okay. Isaiah chapter 1. Beginning of Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure. How much pleasure does God have? I have no pleasure and the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. 
New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts, your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Isaiah goes on for 66 chapters, and at the end, what does he say? This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? You're going to build me a house? I don't think so. Has not my hand made all these things so they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. Whoever sacrifices a bull, this is crude language. Whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. Whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. It's God is intentionally being crude. I don't like, I don't want, I don't need that stuff. I'm here. That's, I'm here. Whoever burns more incense is like one who worships an idol. Psalm 40. I have to think somewhere along the line, David read Levit- Leviticus. But here's the conclusion he comes to. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you've opened. I figured it out. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Prophet Micah. This is, uh, we are all familiar with uh, the last, with Micah 6, 8. But I want to read 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy to walk humbly with your God. I think it's the same exact thing he told Cain. Just live well. Just love. Sacrifice, how far do I go? Do I sacrifice my kid? Is that what you want? No. no. I, I just want you to do these things. I just want you to do these things. Just live well. That's, that's, all, that's, all, that's all I want. That's all I ever wanted from you. New Testament, Hebrews 8. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. We don't need to do any of that anymore. All we need to do is have relationships. Just live our lives. Live, live lives of love. Just look at one another and see image bearers and love them the way that God loves them. That's all God wants us to do. You don't have to do anything to get to him. We don't have to bridge any gap, climb any mountain, build any tower. We don't have to do any of that. Last verse, Jesus the religious people are asking Jesus, they're, they're doing what they believe is their obligation, their duty. And again, they're doing this because they think it's the right thing to do. They're not trying to be jerks. They really believe it's the right thing to do. And this is what Jesus said. This is powerful, 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 powerful. Go and learn what this means. Jesus never says that anywhere else. Only time. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes Micah 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
Go and learn what this means. I am offering you the keys that unlock the heart of God. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I know. I know we did that. We, religion, it worked. Sacrifice, the temple, all that. It, all, we, it happened. But it doesn't have to happen anymore. That's all done. It's over with. I came here in person. <coughs> Again, God speaks the language of sacrifice. <coughs> I'm sorry, you guys. To put an end to it all, He sacrificed His Son so that we don't have to sacrifice. We now live on the other side of the cross. We don't have to do any of that stuff. We don't have to strive, work, do anything for our salvation. All we have to do is celebrate. Celebrate. The reality of who we are in Christ. All we have to do is have an attitude of gratitude and just say, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's all. How do you get to God? How, how, I, people, oh, I'm feeling distant from God. Just tell Him thank you. Just stop for a minute and sit down and just say thank you, God. That's all you got to do. Why do we come together and worship every week? Thank you, God. I'm here in this room full of image bearers of you just giving you something. I don't have to give you anything. I'm giving you something because I'm just so thankful for what you've done. That's all we have to do. That's all any of us ever has to do. Stand up. What the heck? Let's do it. What are they going to do? Kick us out? It's my church. I can do what I want. Kyle, I got your stand. I'm gonna. I asked these guys to sing that song they opened with this morning again, just so we can worship a little. I told you, I promised you, you'd have a chance to worship again. It's running late, I know, but we're gonna worship for three minutes, and then we'll and go home, take a nap. <laughs>